Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Psalms 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we start a series called Deeper. The series is all about how to grow deep in your walk with the Lord. Our desire has always been as a church that we have a body of believers who are, who are a mile wide and a mile deep, who love loud and love all over this community and around the world and love God deeply uh, by uh, spending time in his word, by praying, by serving, by giving, by doing these things. This grows out of what God did in my own heart as a grad student. Grew up in church. The kind of church I grew up in, we lived for the highs of Sundays and Wednesdays. We weren't discipled. It just wasn't in our DNA to uh, disciple deep into the lives of people. And so I never got it. Went away to college and stayed the course morally uh, because my parents had drilled that into us. So I was able to stay the course morally because of that, but really, really uh, uh, just didn't grow. Uh, Because of what my parents had drilled into us, I uh, missed maybe in four years two Sundays of college. Always there, plugged in in the sense of uh, 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 going to church every Sunday, but didn't grow. I graduated, I went to, I taught school for a year, and then went to Columbia, South Carolina to grad school. I remember lying on the sofa in my apartment, uh, and I was so successful academically. I had all of this stuff figured out. I was on my way. I had charted my course, and I was taking all the right steps and marking all the right checks and all the right boxes to be where I wanted to be by the time I was 40. And I had a definite goal at the age of 40 of where I wanted to be, and I was doing all of that stuff, and I was so empty. I was so empty. And I remember lying on that sofa in my apartment and looking up at the ceiling and saying these words, God, I don't know who you are and I don't know where you are, but I know that I need you. Got a phone call. This girl I dated in college, she said, she said, Jerry, uh, there's there's a church in town you ought to visit. And I said, all right. And she said, they have about 300 singles. And I said, uh, I didn't come to Columbia to meet a wife. I came to get a degree. I'm not going to church to meet a wife. I'm here to study. 
And she said, well, okay. I was just saying they had 300 singles. And so I uh, went to church maybe a couple Sundays later. Hundreds of people poured into three different worship services in this church And I sat there, the pastor was out that day, an associate preached, and when he did, it was as if he had gone home with me the night before, tapped my phone, knew everything that I'd said, and God nailed me. It was just a few weeks later that Dr. Lincoln, the pastor, began to preach a series similar to this, and he preached a sermon or two on how to read the Bible, and I'd never heard that in my life, and I took notes like any good nerd would do, and I took notes, and I remember coming home that Sunday evening and grabbing my Bible. I had a King James Version, all that I owned, and I grabbed it, and I thought, I'm going to give it a try. First time, I came to Christ when I was 15. I'm now 23 years old, first time ever uh, since 15. I picked up the Bible for myself to read it. I picked it up. I began to read in the book of Genesis. I got to the story of Joseph. I read and read and read, and I got to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis there, and all of a sudden, I, got, I stopped, and, and I, I could not uh, finish it. And I got this little fat notebook. I still own it. It was about this big, about that thick, one of those spiral-bound fat notebooks, they're called. And I began to write, and God began to speak to me, and I didn't realize that I was spiritually starved. I was so hungry. I was so hungry. I tried to live off one meal a week, and I was starved. And I began to read. And I began to write, and God began to move. And that prayer that I prayed, lying on my sofa that day, he answered. He answered, and he began to speak to me through his word. And as he did, I would just write things down. And I was blown away by what I discovered there. I was blown away by how I seemed so much like Joseph at times. I was blown away by how the people in the word of God and their own struggles and their own challenges were so similar to mine and how I needed the God of this word and I needed this word from this God. And I will tell you today, Day, while that has waxed and waned, I have never lost that love for God's word. That love for his word. I love his word. I love how he speaks to me through it. I love getting up early in the morning and just waiting to hear from him and reading and studying his word and seeing what he has to say to me, not for you, not to preach to you. I don't do that stuff at home. That doesn't happen at 4.30 in the morning in my house. It's what I need. It's for me. It's as God speaks to me. And if there's one thing today you would leave with, it is this rock that I put in your shoe, if you're a believer, that you cannot get up tomorrow morning without being in God's word. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. And I would contend with you that we have so many distractions today that I didn't have 20 some years ago. And it's so much harder And at times I do better, and at times I do worse. 
But let's look into his word to discover what his word is, what God's word does, and what we do with God's word. Margaret has wonderfully read, the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. That's what God's word is. It is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. And it is true. 2 Peter 1, verse 21. Let me look it up for you. Peter talks about this. And I'm going to get a semi-technical with you because some of you are new believers. You say, how did we get God's word? And so there's five steps in the process of getting God's word that I want to share with you. And if you're a nerd, you'll want to write this down. All right? So how did we get this Bible that we have here? First of all, the first step is revelation. God revealed himself. There is no way we could have this unless God says, this is who I am, and this is how I work. So revelation is step number one. In 2 Peter 1, 21, Peter writes this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in Revelation, God reveals himself, but God the Holy Spirit then works through step number two. We call that inspiration. The Holy Spirit inspired man to write God's word down. So God reveals himself, step one, Revelation. Step two, God inspires men to write. Inspiration. Step three is where people stumble. It's a big word. It will be new to you, perhaps. And so I'll spell it for you. Canonization. C-A-N-O-N. Canon means rule. I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. What is canonization? Canonization is the process whereby the books of the Old Testament became books of the Old Testament. And the books of the new became books of the new. By the time of the New Testament, the Old Testament was established. So by Jesus' day, the Old Testament was was set. It was established. And then the New Testament was set by around 300 A.D. And some people go, well... Could they not have gone wrong here? Uh, uh, We won't get into it this week. On the blog this week, I'll go deeper into this if you want to know what were the rules that these church fathers for the New Testament, Jewish leaders for the Old Testament, what were the rules they followed to determine canon rule? What were the rules they followed to determine if a book should be there? And there were rules and they followed them strictly. And they came up with these books that we have. And then there's illumination. Holy Spirit works to make God's word come alive to us. Helps us to understand what we read. All right, so illumination is the process whereby the Spirit works to help us understand the word of God. 
And then finally, there's interpretation. Interpretation is how we understand it. All right, so interpretation is how we understand it. Some folks struggle because there are different interpretations. Well, that's fine as long as it's not on the main stuff. So that's why we have Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans. Uh, that's why we have different denominations because they interpret different, uh, interpret things that are secondary or tertiary. They interpret those things differently. That's okay. So here is where you have to come to, and I've been through this, and I want you to hear me. Please hear me. I understand that some people in this room, and I'm so glad you're here, struggle with, can I trust God's word? I went through this struggle as a college student. I wondered, is it reliable? How can I trust a group of men who met and determined that these books ought to be included and that these books shouldn't? How could I trust that? And it ultimately comes down to a lot of logical sense and a lot of faith, and you must mix the two. I trust the God who revealed himself. I trust the God who revealed himself, who inspired, uh, who canonized, and who illuminates, and who helps me interpret. I trust him from the beginning to the end. I trust his part at the beginning, and I trust him to help me preach this sermon today. That's what I'm saying. It becomes an issue of faith, ultimately. And some of you love to wrap your mind around everything. And if you could wrap your mind around everything, you could reduce the world and everything we experience to these reducible, reducible elements, and you'd be left with emptiness at the end of all that because you would think you figured it out, and you can't. Ultimately, it becomes a journey of faith. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All right, this uh, is an image of as if God blew his breath out on a glass and you would see that condensation. And somebody takes, writers take their finger and write in the condensation. That's the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by him. What does this mean? It means there is consistency in the message of the Old Testament and the New. It means in, G in the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed, some say, and in the New Testament, he is revealed. It means the Old Testament builds up to the New, and they all point to the same message. All Scripture is breathed out by God, old and new. Uh, this is what gives us the great consistency of a book that is spread out over thousands of years in its writing. It's, un, it's unbelievable at times how consistent it is. Last night, uh, we were on our way back from uh, Morganton, and we stopped at Chick-fil-A to eat. All right, so that's always a good place to eat, my opinion. Uh, and, and Hannah wanted to eat there, so we stopped at Chick-fil-A to eat. Do you know what you know about Chick-fil-A? Every one of them is what? The same. It doesn't matter where you go. Every single Chick-fil-A, 
What do they say when you say thank you? Say it loud. My pleasure. They all do it. As a matter of fact, Trent and I have a little game. And so when we go through the drive-thru, I see how many times I can say thank you. So we see how many, we count them up every time. So we can see how many times they say, my pleasure. I know it's crazy, we just like doing that. And so uh, that's what we do. And I just remembered that uh, I need to turn on the coffee maker. All right, so that's for later. It's a long sermon. I got to drink coffee I'm in the middle. Kidding. All right, so, so all Chick-fil-A's are the same. Truett Cathy says in one of his books that uh, he was visiting uh, Chick-fil-A's and he went into one uh, and, and they decided to serve red slaw instead of their normal green slaw or white slaw. How many of you like red slaw? I do too. All right, vinegar kind of base slaw. I like that more than the other. All right, so you either like it or hate it, right? So they decided to serve red slaw and white slaw. And Kathy says, I came in and I saw it and they were so proud of it. And I took their big bowl of red slaw and dumped it in the trash can. And they looked at me and said, why are you doing that? And he said, everybody who goes to Chick-fil-A, anywhere uh, there's a Chick-fil-A, will get the same thing every time everywhere there will be no difference in their service and there will be no difference in the product ever appreciate your creativity we don't need it when it comes to slaw consistency god's word has the same consistency old testament new testament all point to christ everything you read points to Christ. And so what God's word is, it's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. You can stand on God's word. Amen. You can trust God's word. Well, what does God, God's word do? I want to pause and say something. If you don't believe what I've just said, then God's word will not have this effect for you because you will come to it with doubt and fear and with skepticism But if you believe God's word, here's what God's word will do. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. All right, so here's what God's word does. It revives the soul. God's word revives the soul. To revive means to bring back to life. It refers to spiritual nourishment. God's word spiritually nourishes you. It's intended to do that. His word revives the soul. So if Monday's awful, and Monday has depleted the soul, then sometime Monday night, Tuesday morning, what should you do? Get into God's word. And God will revive your soul. Promise. I promise you, he will. God's word revives the soul. Secondly, so he meets our spiritual needs. Secondly, uh, he makes wise 
James 1.1 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. What does that mean? Here's what it means. If you need wisdom and you say, God, I need wisdom, God's not going to look at you. Here's what without reproach means. God's not going to look at you and go, big dummy, didn't you know that already? All right, that's what it means to give advice with reproach. If you go seek somebody's advice and they roll their eyes at you, you feel stupid for asking, right? But when you go to God and you say, God, I need your wisdom on this, God never rolls his eyes. He never looks at you and says, you should have figured that out already. He never looks at you and says, why in the world are you asking me about this again? No, he gives wisdom without reproach. Without reproach, he doesn't mock you. He doesn't make fun of you. He makes wise the simple. It makes wise the simple. You want to be a wise man? You want to be a wise woman? Build your life on the word of God. Build what you do on his word, on the principles found therein. And you will be wise by doing that. There is absolutely no substitute for this. In all of education and in the the undergrad degree I have and the two master's degrees I have and the doctorate degree I have, even though two of them are in the Christian field, there is no substitute for time in the Word to make one wise. There's no substitute for that at all. God's Word will make you wise. So God revives the soul. He meets our spiritual needs. God's Word makes us wise. He meets our mental needs. Number three, God's Word rejoices the heart. Rejoices the heart. He helps us emotionally. God's Word ministers to us emotionally. Lifts the heart. All right? Our soul, our mind, and now our hearts. The emotions, the deep part of who we are. It was a Thursday before Easter. By the way, next year we got a journey. If they'll say yes to us, where's Miss Helen? Uh, where's Miss Helen? She's in the room. I saw her come in looking for her. Oh, she's hot. Well, Miss Helen, uh, I had the privilege of going to her church the Thursday before Easter. Is she in preschool? She's not. I had the, uh, the, the, there she is in the back. All right. So I had the privilege of going to Miss Helen's church the Thursday before Easter. All right. And it goes without saying that uh, black folks know how to worship. Amen. All right. They just do. It's amazing. I just happened to be driving through Old Fort and I saw cars everywhere. And I dropped Trent off quickly and I said, Trent, I'm going back there. And I end up there in this amazing worship service. And it's a collection of all the, uh, uh, or several uh, African American churches right here in our uh, community. So next year, Helen, we want in. That's what I'm saying. All right, we want in to Holy Week with the black churches. I'm serious. And, uh, and so what they do is they bounce around every night during Holy Week and they worship with one another. And Mike Smith uh, got up to preach and wow, did he bring it. But man, I tell you what, if, they, if you guys did what they did while I was preaching, we'd be here two hours. Because every other word, it's amen. You get them. Yes, go. It's just this, uh, this, and Mike is preaching the word. It's just expository, preaching the word, awesome sermon. Everybody's into it. I left there, the word of God having done what? Ministering to my heart. Emotionally 
lifted up. God's word rejoices the heart. Rejoices the heart. It doesn't stop there. Enlightens the eyes. God's word can have physical effect on you. Yeah. Struggling with what your eyes look at? Try memorizing some scripture, men. We struggle with that especially. Summer is coming. We've talked about that in our staff. Wives, you ought to know that summer is so hard for men. The way women dress just makes it so hard for men. Do you know what you can do, men? Take some scripture. Tuck it away in your heart. And watch how God, through his word, will begin to redirect your vision. Redirect your eyesight. God's word, what God's word does is minister to you spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Adam said I could share this. Uh, Last night he sent me a text and he said, "Uh, Jerry, just appreciate your prayers. Rachel's been so sick all day today. Hasn't been able even to get out of bed. They're flying to New York. Need her well to get her to see these docs in New York. And so I'm lying there actually watching television, just kind of uh, uh, vegging out a tad and and, uh, surfing through some religious channels. And I see this verse pop across the bottom. And I read it and I went back and Hit, hit the back button and read it again. And I thought, I need to send this verse to Adam. And here's the verse. That says the coffee's ready. All right, so here's the verse. Deuteronomy 31.8. Some of you need to jot this down and tuck it away. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So I text that back to Adam. And Adam texts back to me, believe it or not, that verse is at the top of a list of go-to verses when I have days like today. Now, I think I know Adam well enough to know that two years ago, I don't think he had that practice quite that down pat, did you? No. But the suffering has driven him to the word. And Adam and Rachel and many of you over the past year, two years, 15 years, has seen God's word minister to you spiritually, mentally, Emotionally, physically. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. As Wendy and I head in for surgery number 11 on Thursday. And the older Trent gets, the harder it is for him. He knows now the danger. He knows the danger. He looked at us before his last surgery and for the first time said, Hey, Dad, hey, Mom, what if I die this time? 
He's never asked us that question. He's old enough to know the danger. Couple that with what I think is from the enemy, this horrific dream about him dying that happened right before that. And with that statement, and Wendy and I sat through that last surgery, which rolled into five hours, just begging God to get him through. Just wondering what was taking so long. And I will say to you that for Wendy and me both, God's word has been a mainstay for us. An anchor in stormy times has been his word. What God's word does is to minister to you. What do we do with God's word? Uh, Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great. Let me back up to verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, God's words, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. What do we do with God's word? Desire it. Desire it. And some of you are sitting here today and you're bothered because you don't have this desire. You want to want God's word, the way that the psalmist David writes about it. You want to want to get up early in the morning, don't you? You want to want God's word so to be central in your life that you can't imagine a day without it. And you aren't there. And you feel convicted right now. No desire to put you on a guilt trip, but you feel convicted by the Spirit. And I'm so glad. What do you do? All right, so I didn't tell her I was going to do this, but Evelyn Langley is sitting to my left. And years ago, Evelyn was in the same boat that you're in, but she wasn't a morning person, were you, Evelyn? She's shaking her head quite decidedly. She wasn't. And so Evelyn said... I began to pray, God, make me a morning person. I hate mornings, but make me a morning person so that I can get up and be alert enough and stay awake long enough to be in your word. And Evelyn, God changed you, didn't he? He changed her. He completely changed her. To where that her habits and desires changed to where that she could be in God's word. Some of you, the very thing you need to do today is say, God, change this in me. I want to want your word. I want to want it. I want this desire. Uh, I want to desire it more than the success of my business. Whatever your gold is, uh, David says, better, more than fine gold. I want your word more than the success of my business. I want your word more than that college I want to get into. I want your word more than this accolade, more than this achievement, more than this accomplishment. God, I want to want your word more than that more than a husband in my singleness more than a wife in my singleness God I want to want your word 
Do you think he'll answer that prayer? Nod your head if you think he will. Yes, of course. He will so answer that prayer. I dare you to pray it. I dare some of you to pray that prayer this week, tonight. God, I want to want your word. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Like if, if David had been writing today, you know what he would have said? It's better than Krispy Kreme. All right? Some of you go, like, honey, I don't like honey. So what if it's honey from the honeycomb? That's gross, okay? So we'll say Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kreme, uh, Cinnabon. I don't know. More than that, want his word. Want his word. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Number two, obey his word. Say, God, I want to want it. But once you, he gives you that desire, whatever he says for you to do, do it. James makes it clear in his little letter that if you, uh, if you hear his word and you don't do it, it's just no good. So uh, want his word, desire his word, obey his word. Look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All right, the words of my mouth. How about how you talk during the day? Is it seasoned with the word of God? That's the words of your mouth affected by what you put in. Is it seasoned with the word of God? So you're to want it, obey it, share it. That's sharing it, the words of your mouth, share it. And number four, meditate on it. That word means to chew on, meditate on it, chew on his word. This week in the block, I'm going to talk about four main ways to take God's word in. Four main ways to take his word in. And I want to illustrate that for you. I didn't really make coffee. I just ran hot water through here. So I want to pour it up into this mason jar. All right. So here we go. Hot water in the mason jar, and we'll finish with this. We'll finish with this. This jar is hot. All right. Duh. All right. Don't know why I didn't figure for that. Okay. I'll try to hold it like this. All right. It's making some of you nervous, isn't it? All right, so come in and hear in a sermon. Here's a tea bag. We're going to say this tea bag is the word of God. Come in this morning to hear a sermon. We'll do this to you. All right, it'll do this. I'll take it out. I'll put it in again. Do you see a little bit of color? It'll do that for you. Deciding to study God's word on your own, to read it, We'll do this to you. My hand really is burning. All right. <laughs> Meditating and memorizing does this. This is what happens. I will tell you 
if you don't get to where Adam is? Based on his text last night, when days like yesterday come, they'll rock your world. If God's word doesn't so infect and infuse your life, there is no way that you will be used by him and weather the storms. This right here comes from a life of chewing on, meditating, taking in his word. Make sense? All right. So what's next? Some of you need to pray, God, help me to want your word. And then, read it on your own. In the morning, or at night, or both, read it. Study it with a group. If you're not in a group, you need to be in one. Study it with a group. I've listed it like this. Listening, that's a couple dips. Read it for yourself, a couple more dips. Study it with a group, a few more dips. Memorize and meditate. That's fully immersed, submerged. Where are you on taking God's word in? Psalm 119, your word I have hidden in your heart, in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Psalm 1 talks about the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners. How blessed is that man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on or in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither and in whatever he does he prospers. No substitute for the great gift of the word of God. I love you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday. I can't wait to hear about your time in the word.